0: They stood still, their faces downcast. One of them, named Cleopas, asked him, "Are you the only one visiting Jerusalem who does not know the things that has happened there in these days?" What things he asked? About Jesus of Nazareth, Nazareth they replied, "He was a prophet, powerful in the world in word and deed before God and all the people. The chief priests and the rulers handed him over to be sentenced to death, and they crucified him." And how slow to believe all that the prophets have said. Did not the Messiah have to suffer these things and then enter into his glory? And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he explained to them what was said in all the scriptures concerning himself. As they approached the village to which they were going, Jesus continued on as if he were going further. But they urged him strongly, stay with us, for it is nearly evening. The day is almost over. And there they found the eleven, and those with them assembled together, saying, It is true, the Lord has risen and has appeared to Simon. Then the two told what had happened on the way, and how Jesus was recognized by them when he broke the bread. Father, we uh, just ask you to speak to our hearts today. Speak through Kenny as as he comes up and, and teaches us and I pray, Holy Spirit, that you would just move on our hearts, apply the word of God to us, and may we all leave here with more hope and more joy, full of the Spirit, and full of just, just joy in what you've done for us. We love you. In your name we pray. Amen. Morning, everybody. Happy Easter.
1: Glad to have you with us today. Um, I don't normally wear a suit, but it's Easter, so i got to clean up a little bit. Uh, um, So good to have. Thank you, Finn. Thank you um, all for being here. Uh, Guests, we're glad to see you here. Thank you for joining with us. We hope that um, you uh, enjoy this time uh, together and worship with us and in the Word. Um, Has anyone ever, maybe you've had this experience before, you're watching TV or something, and then an infomercial comes on, and you've just got these before and after photos, Anyone? Yeah. And they're like, and maybe it's for like the newest Bowflex or I think that's really old. So I don't know that they, (laughs) that they make newer Bowflex, P90X, maybe even that's a little bit, uh, a few years old, but they're like, these before and after pictures are insane. Like you can tell that not only did they work out, they also went to a tanning bed and got someone to airbrush the photos and, and, uh, you know, I see those and I think like, maybe those are designed to make me feel bad. Um, but part of the reason they designed them was for you to ask, for you to see the before and see the after and say, what happened in between? Like, what happened? What did they do to go from that to that? And uh, the reason I bring that up today is because in this passage that Vince read, we really see a before and after glimpse of these two disciples. We see what they were like uh, before. Um, they, were, they were pretty sad. It was, this is just a little bit of context. This passage takes place on the evening of the first Easter so Jesus has risen but not everyone not everyone knows about it yet and not everyone knows what to think especially these two and it's uh, Cleopas and we don't know who's with him it might be his wife it might be a friend but they're walking and they're sad and they're trying to discuss what what they're trying to make sense of what happened here because Jesus who they followed and who they loved to their knowledge was dead And someone said he was alive, but they didn't know what to make of it. And they really seem hopeless and downcast and even just disillusioned. What do we do here? But then in the after scene, by the end of it, instead of hopeless and despairing, they have hope, they have joy. They say, weren't our hearts burning in us? And they immediately go and tell other people about it. That's how much joy they have. What happened in the middle there? What moved them? And as you read it, you see it's because they understood the resurrection. They understood the resurrection, and they had an encounter with Jesus. And on Easter, we, we're celebrating the resurrection here today because the resurrection gives us hope that we can have that before and after in our lives, that there's things that we can come to God, and when he comes to us, that, that we can be sad and downcast and yet... We've experienced and we've seen it before that the hope of the resurrection, that, that even death couldn't hold Jesus down, that that gives us hope and transforms us from the inside because all of us have felt that, we felt hopeless before. Anyone can admit that with me? But the resurrection offers us hope and when we understand what it means and when we have an encounter with Jesus, that can move us. That can be what moves us from disillusionment to joy, and the passage shows us how. So I just want to share three reflections from this passage today, um, that the passage shows us the reality of the resurrection, how Jesus meets us, and how we can meet Jesus. And I, I, I know there's people coming from a lot of different backgrounds and life situations today. And I know some of you are, are members here at this church and you're excited to celebrate the resurrection. Some of you uh, are, are not members or not believers and don't know what to think of the resurrection, but you're here. And uh, some of you may have lost a bet and that's why you're here. <laughs> but we're, we're glad that you're here. And, and uh, I'm just going to talk about the resurrection, what it means to us as Christians today. And I hope that you can hear this as a message of hope today as well. All right, you guys Ready? All right, first, so reality of the resurrection, this passage shows us it. And what's interesting is Vince was reading that, and as you were hearing it, maybe you noticed it too, but the resurrection, the idea of the resurrection, even to these disciples, even to the followers of Jesus, was so unexpected. I don't know if you heard that, but they don't even know what to think of it. Even though Jesus predicted it multiple times, he said, we're going to Jerusalem, I'm going to suffer, I'm going to die, and then I'm going to rise again. And yet, when it happens, they're not expecting it. Even though their friends, the women who had seen that he was resurrected and that he wasn't at the tomb, told them, they didn't believe it. And the thing I want you to notice at the beginning, you know, we kind of think in our modern minds, resurrection, that sounds kind of funny. That sounds kind of, that sounds a little bit crazy. What do you mean? That he came all the way back to life, never to die again, I want you to notice it doesn't just sound crazy to us. It sounded crazy to them too. (laughs) They weren't expecting it either, but something happened. Something happened in real world history that they had to wrestle with and find out what does this mean? They had to put the pieces together. And and my contention is that we have to do that too. Here 2,000 years later, we have to say what happened because... The thing about the resurrection, it is uh, annoyingly historical. What I mean by that is that it's not, uh, the early Christians didn't say, hey, this is a myth. This is a legend. This is uh, something that we think might have happened to Jesus. And we know he died. And then like a generation later, they're like, but he lives on in all of us. No, the, the story started three days later in the city where he was put to death, where everyone saw it happen. And they're saying, something happened. It's not a myth. It's not a legend. It's not a survival. He didn't somehow survive that horrible beating and death on the cross, and he's limping around. (laughs) He didn't just pass out and then resuscitate. He is alive. And I don't have time to go into the evidence, but I do want to just... Tell you today, if that's where you are and you're not sure what to think of that, there's a lot of evidence out there that you can search and you can look up. There's a book called Basic Christianity by John Stott. There's a great book on that. Or The Case for Christ by Lee Strobel. And they, they go through different evidences like the, the empty tomb, the fact that no one ever, if anyone wanted to say that Jesus was dead, they just had to show us his body and no one ever was able to show his body And hundreds of eyewitnesses went on public record and then were willing to die for their testimony that we saw him and he's alive. But in the passage today, there's one, before I move to the next point, there's one that comes up and I like to highlight it. And it's that the the women were the first to testify about the resurrection. They were the first, yeah, whoo, I heard a little, heard a little whoo. But what's interesting, I brought this out before, but I like to bring it up whenever it shows up, and it's this. We hear that, and we think, okay, yeah, that's cool. maybe inconsequential. But for them in the first century, that was a huge deal. And the reason was uh, women didn't, have, uh, didn't even have the rights that they have today, and, and women in that culture were not considered trustworthy. It was a very misogynistic time. And the testimony of a woman, a woman was not allowed in court as evidence. And so the the early people who were critics of Christianity and hated it said, why would we ever believe this? Because Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, all four accounts of the resurrection say that women were the first to see the risen Lord and to tell the other disciples about it, and the other disciples didn't believe it. (laughs) And so when you look at that as a historian and when you look at that from our perspective, you have to say, if you were trying to make up a story that Jesus rose again and you wanted to convince the world of the first century, you would never say in every account, that these women were the first witnesses. The only reason you would do that is if it was a fact and everyone knew it and you couldn't write down anything else, (laughs) which is what happened. So all I'm saying from the beginning is these disciples were shocked. And if you're here today, I'm encouraging you to search it out. Wrestle with what it means. Look at the historical data and make up your own mind. Many people have, and they've been atheist or agnostic, and now they believe in Jesus because they're looking at history. We're not talking about myth. We're talking about human history and what you believe about the set of facts that is out there can make the difference on whether you're able to move from despair to hope in whatever it is that you're facing, from disillusionment with life and wondering what's the point or the purpose to joy so much that you want to share it with other people. Amen? Amen. So that's first point. Second point from the passage we see a glimpse of how Jesus meets us. How Jesus meets us. First, Jesus meets us in our pain and disillusionment. Can I get an amen from some people who know that? Jesus meets us in our pain and disillusionment. They were disillusioned. Imagine, put yourself in their shoes for a second. They're followers of Jesus. They're devoted to him. They love Jesus. They've they've been around. They've heard his teaching. They've seen the miracles that he did and the way that he helped people, the way that he loved people, the way that he included people. He's had this ministry of three years. They had hope that he was going to be the one that would redeem Israel, that, that would set them free, that they would experience new freedom in him. And now he's dead. He's dead. It's over. To their knowledge, and basically to everyone's knowledge, no one comes back from that. <laughs> it's done. What do we do? All our hope was in him. He was so amazing. we have never seen anyone like him, and yet they're feeling that. They're, so they're walking, and they're discussing, and they're trying to make sense of it. And there's this rumor that he's alive, but they don't know what to think of it. And then he comes to them, and they don't recognize him. They're kept from recognizing him. And he asks them, hey, what are you talking about? And they go from walking to where the scripture says they stood still, and their faces downcast. Are you, are you feeling it? They're so sad. And they said, are you the only one who doesn't know what's going on here? Are you, are you the only one who doesn't know what's been going on around here? They're looking at the facts of life without the hope of the resurrection. They're looking at, man, those things and that those people that we put our hopes in, They they die and they go away and... The things that we thought were going to work out the right way, they didn't. And they don't have the hope of the resurrection, and they're just feeling distraught. And that's where Jesus meets them. That's what I want you to see today. Jesus doesn't ignore them. He doesn't say, hey, I'll wait till you get it all sorted out, get your pain figured out, and then I'll come and hang out with you. No, he meets them there. He talks with them. He walks with them. He teaches them. Many of you that are here today, and I know we're from different backgrounds and walks of life, but maybe you're here today and you're going through suffering. Maybe you're going through a trial. You're going through a pain. It may be uh, your marriage is on the rocks or your your family is feeling broken or is broken or you messed up big at work and you don't know what's going to happen. Can I just tell you today and remind you that Jesus will meet you there? Jesus will meet you there in that pain. You might be feeling disillusioned and, and part of life is that we do suffer. How many know that? We do suffer. We go through pain, and suffering by nature makes us ask questions, and we ask questions of God even. You know, as I was reading this, I was thinking how many times that I have asked, and maybe you have asked God the same question that they asked here. God, are you the only one who, don't, who doesn't know what's going on down here? Are you the only one who doesn't see this pain and suffering? Are you the only one who sees that I can't make sense of it? Here's the deal. There's no easy answers for why we go through suffering. I'm not going to stand here and try to give you an easy answer. And I am going to say, too, that a lot of the easy answers that float around out there probably do more damage than good. We don't know why we go through all the suffering that we do. But because of Jesus, we do know one thing. We know that it can't be because God doesn't care. It can't be that God doesn't care about us. How do we know that? Because of the cross. We know that because of Good Friday, because in the cross, Jesus, the Son of God, in the cross, we find a God who suffers, a God who suffers with us. He's not absent. He's not unaffected by our pain. He entered our world. He didn't say, figure it out, and then I'll meet you. No, he entered our world of of pain and death. I have part of a quote from John Stott, I think, that says it really well. He says, I could never myself believe in God if it were not for the cross. In the real world of pain, how could one worship a God who was immune to it? And then he speaks of Jesus as the lonely, twisted, tortured figure on the cross, nails through his hands and feet, back, lacerated limbs, wrenched, intolerable thirst, Plunged in God-forsaken darkness. And then he says this, that is the God for me. He laid aside his immunity to pain. He entered our world of flesh and blood, tears and death. He suffered for us. Our sufferings become more manageable in light of his. What are you going through right now? What are you going through today? What doubts are you wrestling with? What suffering are you facing? Can I just encourage you and remind you, Jesus will meet you there. Jesus will meet you there. He will bear it with you. God loves you. Some of you guys have heard that 10,000 times. Some of you may have not heard it. God loves you. He promises to his people, I will never leave or forsake you. God loves you. Amen? Amen. Jesus meets us in our pain. One other brief way that Jesus meets us before we move to the, the last point. Jesus meets us in ordinary ways. You know, sometimes we think, I, if I'm going to be a Christian, I need to hear a voice from heaven. Oh, it needs to, there needs to be fireworks or something big. Like, if God's going to move in my life, it needs to be really obvious. But you know what's funny about this story? Jesus didn't do any of that. He came up to them and was in their life and wasn't even recognized by them until after the fact. And then they looked back and said, whoa, weren't our hearts burning? oh my goodness, look at what God did in our life, and we weren't even aware of it. You know, a lot of people think Christians all have these spectacular uh, testimonies, and that's like one in 10, or one in 100, maybe. <laughs> and and uh, those are all the people who give the testimonies, right? <laughs> and we hear, and we think, oh man, I wish I had that testimony. But let me tell you how it is for the other 99 of us. It's usually not that way. It's usually, we don't realize that God was at work into our lives until m- well after the fact. And we look back and say, look at where he was. Look that he was with me. I think of that song. It's about 20 years old. What if God was one of us? <laughs> but there's a line there. Just a stranger on a bus trying to make his way home. That's how God came to them. I mean, they didn't have buses, but they're on the road. They're traveling. And Jesus comes to them not even recognized. He's a stranger. He says, hey, what are you talking about? whatever you're going through today, is it possible? Is it possible that God might be speaking to you through that? Is it possible that God might be redeeming even the trouble that you're facing to draw you closer to him, to point you to real hope, to bring you outside of your pain and show you what hope he has to offer you because of the resurrection? Jesus meets us in our pain, and Jesus meets us in ordinary ways. So that's how Jesus meets us. How can we meet him? How can we have an encounter with Jesus similar to what they had? How can we have a relationship with him? Well, first we meet Jesus in his story. In his story. What I'm saying is we understand our story in light of his story. Let me explain. So, these disciples show us that you can have all the facts, but miss the point of the story. Yeah. You can have all the right facts. You can be looking at the same facts as I am, but you can miss the point. That's what they did. He says, hey, what are you talking about? And then they begin to talk about it. And they say, well, Jesus was from Nazareth. True. <laughs> Jesus was a prophet. True. Jesus was powerful in the words he taught and the signs he did. True. True. Jesus was crucified. True. It's the third day. True. (laughs) Some women we know said that he's alive. (laughs) True. Even though they don't believe it. (laughs) Do you see? They're looking at the right set of facts. But without understanding the resurrection, they miss the whole point of a story. And the proof that they missed the point of a story is that they know all those facts, and yet they're in despair, not hope. Ironically, Jesus is standing with them, (laughs) and and they have no hope because they've missed the point of the resurrection. And they even say that. They say, he's dead now, but we had hoped, in verse 21, that he was the one who was going to redeem Israel. And they were dealing with the shattered pieces of their hope. But Jesus knew that in reality, if they could understand that he was risen, they would have hope. If he could beat death, that they would beat death as they trusted in him. And he knew that their sins could be forgiven. And so when he wanted him, when he wanted them to see and the hope that they have in the resurrection, what did he do? To me, it's fascinating what he didn't do. Right. I I think as I'm reading it, I I just think he would be like, hey, guys, (laughs) It's me. (laughs) Look, I'm Jesus. I'm alive. Look. That'd be easy, right? But he didn't do that. I, I think he didn't want them to just be amazed at a temporary experience. He wanted them to really understand the story and what happened so that they could know what it meant for them and so that they could share it with other people. What did he do? He said, This, how foolish you are, and how slow to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Did not the Messiah have to suffer these things and then enter his glory? And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, that's the New Testament's way of saying the whole Old Testament, <laughs> beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he explained to them what was said in all the scriptures concerning them himself. You see what he did? He pointed them to the Bible. Even though he's standing there with him, he didn't do a show of amazing power. He said, look at the scriptures. He pointed them to the Bible. He pointed them to the story of God. And he said, it's all about me. It's all pointing forward to me. And now it's all been fulfilled in me. Your hope was in your circumstances. Your hope was that, uh, that the Messiah would come and redeem Israel. And what they meant by that is they wanted a political change. They didn't want to be under the oppressing uh, influence of Rome. And they wanted economic freedom. We hope that he would redeem Israel. He says, your hope was in your circumstances, but I'm your Savior. Your problem, you thought your problem was external. It was the things going on around. But he's saying uh, you, the, bigger, the biggest problem you have and every single person has is internal, and it's sin. And I came to save you from it. Here's, what, here's where I have to pause and just say this. Many people have a lot of opinions about Jesus. Christians say he's the son of God. He's God in the flesh. And this passage just reminds me, you just can't, you can't say he's just a good teacher. You can't say he's just a prophet. Here's what I mean. Either he's Lord of the universe and everything in history points to him, including the scriptures, or he's incredibly narcissistic. (laughs) Everything's about me. Go with me for a second. Think about your favorite teacher growing up, right? Did they ever tell you, I am the bread of life? (laughs) they ever tell you, I am the light of the world? Did they ever tell you to worship them? Did they ever tell you that they would save you? I hope not. (laughs) You ought to get out of that situation. And yet Jesus said all those things. But the people who saw him live, there was a consistency between what he said and how he lived and that he rose again. And they said, that has to be true. And not only will we have hope to the death because of it, but we'll even give our lives when people kill us for saying that he rose again. We encounter Jesus when we begin to see our stories, our lives, in light of his story. Until we see that it's all about Jesus, we too will be staring at the set of facts in our lives, but missing the point of our lives and missing the hope of eternal life. Until... We see that it's all about Jesus. We'll be looking at the right facts, but we'll be missing the point. We naturally look at our stories like they're about us. Our goals, our achievements, our decisions, what we love, what we want to do, how we messed up. But if he is who he said he was, and if he rose again, that changes everything. It changes everything. It means our greatest problem is not our circumstance, but it's our sin. Sin, living life on our own terms, not on God's terms. Living life just for ourselves and what we want, not for, uh, for the God who made us and for what he wants. What we need most is not a change in circumstances, but we need a Savior, and that's who Jesus is. And that's what he tells them. When you see that it all points to him and it all makes sense in him, that's what gives you hope no matter what. That's what gives you the before and after. That's the in-between right there. No matter what your circumstance, you can still have joy that runs deep, deeper than your circumstance. Because you know not even death could hold him down. And as long as you're holding on to him, he's holding on to you. Even death won't hold you down. We encounter Jesus when we understand our story in light of his story. The last way we meet Jesus, and I'm going to close with this point, it's through breaking bread. It's what they're doing near the end of this message. They ate a meal, right? They're walking down the road. He's, he's explaining to them from the Bible that it all points to him and that it's been fulfilled in Jesus, that Jesus is the Messiah and that he had to suffer for sins. And now he's risen. He's been explaining this to them. And then they're going down the road. And if you remember in the passage, Jesus acts like he's going to keep going down the road. (laughs) They're they're going to stop in this village and he's just going to keep walking. And they're like, no, stay with us. Stay with us, please. And they beg him, come come have a meal with us. And so he comes in and, and they begin to have a meal. And it says that when they're in there, he begins to break bread. It says that he took bread. He gave thanks. He He broke it and began to give it to them. And something happened. Something happened right there where they realized it was Jesus. Their eyes were open. And they realized, oh, this is Jesus. He's risen. And then as soon as it happens, he's gone. But... They're not sad, they're, they're burning. They say, we're not our hearts burning within us when he walked with us on the road and when he opened the scriptures to us. They have this experience. They realize that they've had an encounter with Jesus. As I read that, I ask, what was it that opened their eyes? What was it that made them realize? And there's a lot of people who speculate about it. There's people say, oh, well, they got, they got closer indoors and they could see his face, or... When he reached for the bread, they saw the scars in his hands. I, and I don't know what it is. But I think it has something to do with, I, I'm just going to suggest this. I think it might have something to do with the last meal that Jesus shared in the scriptures with them before he died. And it, in the last meal that he had in this book before this is in Luke 22. Because there, in the same way, it says the same words that he took bread and he gave thanks and he broke it and began to give it to his followers who were with him at the Last Supper. And he explained, it was a very symbolic meal, and he explained what he meant. In Luke twenty-two nineteen. 19, he says this, he took bread, he gave thanks, and broke it and gave it to them, saying, this is my body given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And in the same way, after the supper, he took the cup, this, saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood, which is poured out for you. We meet Jesus, we encounter Jesus in the bread and wine. We meet him, we encounter him there when we understand what the gospel is. When we understand what the bread and wine symbolize, when we understand what he was doing up on that cross, he was doing for us. You see what the cross shows us? Not only did he suffer with us, Not only did he enter our pain and and become the suffering savior, he suffered for us. That's what he did on the cross. God's story says this. This is about the simplest way I can put it. We were created and designed for good. God made us in his image and he created us to walk and have fellowship with him and to have harmony in our relationships with others. And yet because of sin, that has been destroyed by evil. We've been destroyed by evil. Every relationship has been affected by it. Our relationship with God, our relationship with others, our re- the world, the relationship in society. Today, the, the bombs in Sri Lanka in Easter services, where over 200 Christians died that's evil, that's sin. Our world has been destroyed and damaged by evil. But when Jesus came to us on the cross, what he did for that was take the punishment for our sin, for our living our own way, for our saying no to God and, and, and doing it our own way. He took that punishment that we deserve and he went to the cross and he bore it. And that's why the scriptures say he became sin who knew no sin that we might become the righteousness of God. And when you see the cross, you see that his body was broken instead of my body. His blood was poured out and it should have been my blood for my sins. And when you see what he did for you and you turn from sin and believe in him, you see that you're restored for better. Because what God wants to do is send us out together into this broken world to heal. That's why it says in Ephesians 2 that he prepared good works in advance. He prepared them a long time ago for us to walk in and do them. He wants his church and the people. He wants people to be redeemed by him when they turn from sin and believe in him so that they can go out into the world and be his hands and his feet and his body. That's what it means to meet him in the bread and the wine. If you're here today and that's the first time you heard that, If you're here today and that's the first time that your heart wanted it to be true, can I ask you, will you? Will you step forward and make that commitment in your heart? Will you consider beginning a relationship with Jesus today? Will you believe that he's here to meet you in the pain, whatever that you're going through, and that he's already been at work in your life, and maybe that's why you're even here today? If that's you, think about that. I'm going to pray in just a minute, and I want you going to be listening at that point. I believe that God, on this Easter day, as we celebrate the resurrection of Jesus, wants to do a before and after in our lives. Whether you're not a believer yet and you put your faith in Jesus and you cross that line of faith today and begin a relationship with him, or, or whether you've been a believer, you can't even remember when you weren't. <laughs> but you know that you're going through something where you need God's hope and you need the joy of God to run deep in your spirit, I'm praying for that before and after in our hearts. St. Augustine said it, uh, said it this way over 1,600 years ago. He said this, you have made us for yourself and our hearts are restless until they find their rest in you. My prayer for every one of us that's gathered here today is that you would begin to understand the resurrection and that you would have an encounter with Jesus and that you could celebrate with us too, like we're singing today, an unshakable hope and an unending joy that nothing can hold you back. And I pray that your heart would be burning, that you would look back and say, wasn't my heart burning in that service? That's where God did a work in my life, Easter 2019. Amen. Let's pray. Father, we just thank you so much. Thank you for time to gather together on this Easter, the weekend that we remember not only your sacrifice for us on the cross, that you died in our place, you took on the death that we deserve for our sins because our sins were that bad, but also because your love is so much better. God, we thank you for that for Good Friday, but Lord, even more today, we thank you for Easter Sunday. We thank you for resurrection. We thank you for a hope, Lord, that is not based in wishing, but it's based in history. God, I thank you for the faith that calls us to you. Lord, I pray for um, every person in here who has uh, not crossed that line of faith, Lord, and, and maybe you're working in their hearts right now. Maybe there's conviction of sin, or maybe they're dealing with shame or regret, Lord, I just, I, I pray for each one of them right now. And if that's you, please listen to me. I just pray that you would guide them in this process of faith, that you would awaken faith in each soul, Lord Jesus. And if that's you, all you have to do is repent. The Bible says, turn away from sin, turn in your heart. Tell God, I'm sorry for all the ways that I've sinned against you and lived for myself. Turn away from sin and believe in Jesus that what he did on the cross was done for you. That you turn from sin and you place your faith in him and that he was crucified and he died and was buried, but he rose again on the third day to give you hope of life. And if if that's you, if you turn from sin and you believe in him, you can begin a relationship with Jesus right now in this moment today. And I urge you, if that's you, come up and get prayed for here in a minute when we end. And God, I also pray for every believer that's here, Lord. Maybe they're tired of hearing Easter stories or maybe... Maybe the reality of the struggles that they face this week makes Easter sound not even joyful. Maybe the pain in someone's heart today feels mocked, God, but I know that that's not your heart because I see you on the cross, suffering with us, suffering for us. I pray that every believer here today would be reminded of the hope that we have in you, God, the hope that beats out everything, every single thing we face in this life. Nothing is more powerful than you. Nothing is more powerful than the hope we have because you rose again and you are alive, never to die again. God, I pray for an infusion of hope into every single soul that is under the sound of my voice. We pray for a powerful move of the Holy Spirit, God. It's not in my words. It's in your word. It's not in anything I can do. It's in the power of the Holy Spirit that's at work right now. So God, we invite you. I pray, for, I pray for before and after. I pray for stories in the following weeks that they would say, wow, I can't believe what God did on that Easter Sunday. Can you believe it? God, I pray for new faith, for new life. I pray for baptisms in the weeks coming For now because people are coming to you and turning from sin and turning to you. We just invite you to move, Lord in these next few minutes as we respond. We pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.